Hello and welcome to another episode of What's the Chai with your host Summer Haroon. I know it's been a minute since we released an episode and mainly the reason was that over the past few weeks your host, aka me, I got licensed. Um, It was a brutal process, took a couple of weeks to get done, a horrible four-hour exam, but we're finally here uh, and now I'm officially a licensed marital and family therapist. So just a little bit of a update on that. I also wanted to put a disclaimer on this episode. Um, this particular episode will have a lot of graphic domestic violence um, content. Um, the guest today is going to be speaking on that. So just a trigger warning, if you're sensitive to this kind of information, I would advise not listening to it or listen to it when you're in a better space or with a friend, someone who can support you. Uh, but without further ado, enjoy the episode. So today we have Anisa Tabassum in the house. She is a psych nurse and a domestic violence survivor and an advocate based in Austin, Texas. See, I told you, as soon as you're going to start recording, I was going to start her too. It was going to happen. It's within the first three sentences that it's going to happen. Anyway, it's, it's pronounced Anessa. By the Anessa. Way. Oh my gosh. See, like that's even I'm not worse. Even, I'm not. It's even worse. But you know what? We're going to keep this in because yeah. this is our truth. This is, our truth. This, this is, is totally our truth. truth. Absolutely. This is our Sunday morning truth. Anyways, she brings awareness to social issues and um, in the South Asian community that are often stigmatized and looked past. She hopes to inspire and bring light to the important issues the community faces in order to help the next generation of men and women. If you also haven't seen her, she's on TikTok with a 310,000 following and 13.2 million likes on all of her content. You've probably seen her on um, your For You page, but without further ado, it's Anessa. There you go. I fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's a hard name. I swear it's a really hard name. You know what? I should have asked you at some time at some point because my they see were, my they seeness just took over and I was like, oh, that's Anissa. That's Anissa. Yeah. The I made it as they see as possible in that moment. Yeah, I've been Anissa my whole life. No, trust me. It's yeah. I always I, I I think maybe one out of like a billion people usually get it right. Damn it. That makes me sad. I wish I was one of those. But one yeah, you're part of the many. I'm sorry. I'm not unique. <laughs> you not, don't have special. <laughs> but anyways. Anessa, tell me, what's the chart? How's everything going with you? Everything is going hectic right now. Um, but I think that's what makes life so beautiful. You know, I think people mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm so busy. And they, they try to act cool and whatnot. But I think being busy is just one of the most beautiful things that can happen. That means you're really trying to do something with your life. Really? You know, I think I think it's good to be busy and tired than to constantly being bored and not knowing what to do. So I think I think I'm starting to do everything right. Oh, I love that. And, you know, you have such a powerful story that, you know, the times that we've talked and why I wanted to bring you onto the podcast was because it's such uniqueness that comes with you. See, I'm one, I'm not one in the billion, but I feel like you're one in the billion to bring your story forward in such um, a manner that I think in the South Asian community, we haven't seen it before. And I think this is the first time you're sitting down to actually tell it like in an expanded way right like from like start mm-hmm. to finish because normally in your content you put like snippets of it yeah oh my god put snippets of it which keep it interesting and that makes me be able to you know tell more and more throughout time mm-hmm. but I'm excited to dive deep into just everything that happened and I think that'll give everyone everyone a little 
you know, a little sense of, okay, I kind of understand what was going on, you know, and a more connection towards my story. Absolutely. So I get the exclusive scoop. I'm so, I'm so privileged. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for that. But yeah, so I know we're talking vaguely what your story is, but you know, in your intro, you are an abuse survivor as well. And I like to also call you a thriver. So if you would be so kind to let our audience know, what is your story? Yeah, so I can give you like a short snippet and then we could go ahead and just dive deep into it. But basically, my story is is that I got young. Uh, I mean, I didn't get young. I started, um, I fell in love at a pretty young age, you know, not very young, but in my early 20s. And I just got involved with a very, um, a very smart man, smart as in very good at manipulation, very good at, um, you know, I learned later on that he was a predator and he, he had done this a lot of times before he even met me. And he, um, I got to know that he had been doing it at, even after I left him. Um, so no he is, way. Oh my yeah, God, that's even yeah. used to me. No way. Yeah, he was definitely just a pathological liar, um, a predator. So many women have come forward to me, you know, asked me about, hey, is this who you're talking about? And, you know, I don't, I don't ever reveal to anyone this is exactly who I'm talking about. But, you know, I know in my head that, hey, like, yeah, like, who you're talking about is exactly who mm-hmm. I experienced everything with. So I got involved with the man when I was really young, mm-hmm. who knew exactly what to do. I got, I fell into a pattern of abuse. And um, eventually I got really lucky in the aspect that, you know, I only had to endure this for a couple of months before I was able to finally flee and get out and restart my life. Wow. Yeah. So in a short snippet, that's kind of my story. That's amazing. I mean, the part that you only have to endure, like, I mean, it's not okay that you went through any of it. It's never okay. I I know we always say, you know, it doesn't kill us, make us, makes us stronger, but ultimately that's not the point of life is to com- always get you know, stronger. We're not coal under pressure trying to turn into diamonds. No one should have to go through any form of abuse. I think that's horrible. But the fact that you endured it and you're sitting here creating a platform and giving other like South Asian women, I think women in general, not even South -hmm. South Asian women, like your story is unfortunately very relatable. I fell in love at a pretty young age, you know, not very young, but in my early 20s. And Mm -hmm. I just got involved with a very... Um, a very smart man, smart as in very good at manipulation, very good at, um, you know, I learned later on that he was a predator and he he had done this a lot of times before he even met me. And he, um, I got to know that he had been doing it even after I left him. Um, No way. Oh my God, that's even used to me. No way. Yeah, he was definitely just a pathological liar, um, a predator. So many women have come forward to me, you know, asked me about, hey, is this who you're talking about? And, you know, I don't, I don't ever reveal to anyone this is exactly who I'm talking about. But, you know, I know in my head that, hey, like, yeah, like who you're talking about is exactly who mm-hmm. I experienced everything with. So I got involved with the man when I was really young, mm-hmm. who knew exactly what to do. I got, I fell into a pattern of abuse and um, eventually I got really lucky in the aspect that, you know, I only had to endure this for a couple of months before I was able to finally flee and get out and restart my life. Wow. Um, 
yeah so in a short snippet that's kind of my story that's amazing I mean the part that you only have to endure like I mean it's not okay that you went through any of it it's never okay I I know we always say you know it doesn't kill us make us makes us stronger but ultimately that's not the point of life is to com- always get you know stronger we're not coal under pressure trying to turn into diamonds no one should have to go through any form of abuse I think that's horrible but the fact that you endured it and you're sitting here creating a platform and giving other like South Asian women I think women in general not even South Mm -hmm. South Asian women like your story is unfortunately very relatable yeah I think that's a lot of aspects not even just the marriage part just the relationship part absolutely very very relatable so with that said you know this is also there are two things that that are that's news to me because I assumed that your marriage was arranged actually mm-hmm. do you get that a lot, a lot? Of people, I get that so much I get that so much because people just assume abuse to arrange marriages mm-hmm. and no that 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 was that's why I speak out on this a lot because I'm like this was a love marriage yeah it was a love marriage and that's a lot of people think they're gonna avoid it too by mm-hmm. you know I found love it's gonna be fine yeah how did that happen how did you guys meet um you're also Bangladeshi right yes yeah so that's where your heritage is from and then so tell me how did you guys meet did you feel like I'll, I'll ask that question later but go go into that part yeah so this is this part is really funny you know have you have you heard of Dilmo no <laughs> is that a dating app it is a dating app um and around 2016 2017 it was um it was more on the newer stages so it was something no one liked to talk about but right now it's like a really widespread um daisy dating app that a lot i don't know anyone that hasn't tried it at this point um but i tried it and um i met him through there we never talked on the app we just matched and then we added to beside each other decided to add each other on our socials mm-hmm. and um, over time um, I had to go at a conference at in California actually through my Greek society I was attending a leadership conference and um, he saw that I was coming into his town and basically just hit me up and we decided to just hey like let's just meet up um, in a public setting and that was that, that was how I met him and it was after like definitely the first introduction that you know, it was unlike any other any any other meeting that I have ever experienced, and that's Talk kind of that's that. kind of where the charm charm started to happen. I want to hear about that, like, and this is like why I wanted to avoid the word in the prompt that I want to give, but I want to see if it matches before I give it up. But tell me about okay. that, like, when you say you know there was charm in there, our first interaction, like, what was the connection like? Yeah, like, what did he do? So this is something I like to talk about as far as like how abuse works. So there's, I believe, like four phases mm-hmm. um, kind of in an abusive relationship. And this is definitely phase one. It's called the grooming phase, the charming phase. That's exactly the word I was going to say where you groomed. I don't mean to be that excited about you being groomed, but that absolutely, was the word. I'm sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, if anyone has experienced abuse and an abusive relationship, I, I know that they're going to relate to this first part by far. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first phase was just the, just the moment that I even heard, heard mm-hmm. him. Um, I was just standing outside of the sorority and the streets were fairly quiet because it was later on in the night and all of a sudden I hear this loud music right and I hear this loud car. Mm-hmm. he was driving in in his Porsche right and he was just 
blaring blasting music and I just looked at it and my jaw just dropped because I'm like I did not expect him to drive in in a convertible mm-hmm. with um you know all dressed up and in the night with palm trees surrounding him I was just like oh my god this is I'm from North Dakota you know, mm-hmm. I don't this is not my usual environment so from the bat I started to get wooed you know I got into his Porsche and he started driving quickly and like where can I take you I'll take you anywhere you know yeah. so it was just extremely charming I didn't even have a chance to kind of get to know him I was just soaking in the environment and how he was making me feel mm-hmm. um, our first interaction um, he was just trying to ask me a lot of questions and you know made me feel extremely special extremely mm-hmm. special mm-hmm. you know and that from that first interaction it was constantly like I need to see you how can I see you I want to be with you more. I want to get to know you more. Yeah. And it just escalated very quickly. You know, I hadn't felt that important to a person in a very, very long time. So I felt this soft, very strong sense of connection towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in that phase that people will notice, it's a lot of grand gestures and a lot mm-hmm. of gift giving and making you feel so special. At one point, I had known him for about three weeks now and he's like okay you know what and I had gone back to North Dakota at the time and he's like okay you know what I need to see you I need to be with you I'm gonna fly over to North Dakota right now to meet your parents granted I had known him for about three weeks yeah and he was already making these grand gestures like I want to be with you you know potentially get married let me fly over to North Dakota you know what's so tricky about that situation while you're talking about it is that when I work with my clients, I all, when they come to me, when they're like, you know, the guy isn't showing interest. I'm like, if a guy wants to be with you, he will make that effort. And what's so problematic is when a guy makes these grander gestures that are a little bit more over the top, then that bleeds into that part where like, well, he wants to be with me. And, you know, we were told that, you know, if a guy is into you, he's going to make these efforts and he's going to be present. It's hard to decipher when it's grandiose in a way that's toxic or problematic mm-hmm. almost like this is too soon. Yeah. And another thing Absolutely. is that for the Desi community and the South Asian community, this timeline is not too off. Like mm-hmm. we hear, we hear stories about, you know, oh, we met like, you know, a week and on like the second week we got engaged and, you know, now mm-hmm. we're married with like five kids. Yeah. So it's like, where do we evaluate baseline from like what what then does constitute as a red flag if we want to have a person interested in you if you want them to ask questions and you know pursue you properly and really be engaged be curious want to make the next step like meeting your family and then the timeline matches our community like how do you identify that yeah that's a tricky absolutely yeah and that's exactly how i ignored all the signs because in my head oh my parents like literally met on their wedding day it's fine you know and I'm like it's good that he's showing interest that means he's really into me and you know they see relationships should be moving this fast you know we shouldn't be dating for a long time like this is perfect he's already all in and it's you know week four so this is amazing this is perfect it's right on time really Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've actually gotten in trouble with that a lot, you know, since my relation, that relationship, because now, like, whenever I meet somebody or one of my best friends meets a new guy, I get really protective when I see that he's giving her a lot of gifts, 
you know, within a few days, you know, I get really scared. I'm like, why is he, why is he giving you all this stuff? He doesn't even know you. Why is he giving you like a, you know, $500 necklace right now? Like I don't buy into it and I get really protective and I start being really skeptical. Mm-hmm. And that's actually um, really not helped a lot of my friendships with a lot of people because they're like, he just likes me, like relax. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely gotten into a lot of trouble with that because now I'm really skeptical. Yeah. When well, you're protective, it sounds like. You don't want anyone else to endure or even come close to you know, what you've done. It's like your parents, right? They're just like, we know we've been there. You can't see what we see. But it sounds like you care a lot about your uh, like your friends for like even wanting to bring that up. But I know it can be hard for them to take that in because it's like, well, he's just interested. Why are you pressed? Yeah. How do you how do you see the difference? You know, right at that point, all you just see is that they're super interested and they're they're all in. Mm -hmm. They're all in whatnot. So it's really difficult to like draw the line. Yeah. And were you looking to like get married when you were like on Dilmil and started to like date? You know, I was I just turned 22 at the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to get married. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my career. So I was nowhere near like marriage was not in my radar. Maybe in like two, three years, I was thinking, but definitely not even in my radar at the time. Mm-hmm. I knew that I really wanted to know somebody before I got married. That yeah. was my mindset. I really wanted to get to know the person before I got married. Mm-hmm. So seeing how things have escalated, you know, I really realized that it was just a lot of manipulation mm-hmm. on his so part. Before we go into like how your parents reacted to it, can you tell me a little bit about your parents, just like your general relationship with them? Like, did they want you to get married soon? Were they kind of like the typical yeah. Desi parents? Like, what was Definitely. what was Definitely even so like just to give a little bit more context of their behaviors, your parents behaviors and attitudes before the marriage and like when they met him and like Mm -hmm. how you were, you know, the expectations like parents put on us and like the mentality that they give us that played into it. Yeah, definitely. So my parents were, were very traditional Bengali Muslim parents they were very strict and very protective of me and my older sister my older sister is about five years older than me oh wow um and she was already married at that time so there was absolutely no pressure though for me to get married anytime soon she got married in 2015 this is the setting of the story starts around 2017. Mm-hmm. so um I wore a hijab at the time so we were very we we're actually very religious family my mom wears a hijab as well hijab is just a Muslim headscarf which just covers your hair and you know my parents both pray five times a day my mom got married when she was it's kind of weird to see she got married when she was 16 years old what so, Wait, so but your sister's five years older yeah so she had my sister when she was 17 um yeah it's very oh sorry I misunderstood I thought you said your mom had you when she was 16 Oh, no, no, had my sister when she was 17. Oh. Had me when she was 22. Got it. Okay, I misunderstood. Yeah, I was yeah. like, was your mom like 10 when she had That's your other sister? <laughs> yeah, no. So she got married at a really young age. It was 100% arranged marriage. And mm-hmm. growing up, my mom's biggest, she my her biggest thing was she wanted her daughters to have an education because she feels wow. like she missed out on it. So she had never, she was never the person to force us to get married she's always the person to be like finish your school do a master's go back to school keep going to school I don't care what you need to do I need you to be educated I love that that 
that was her biggest regret in her life. So marriage was never something that was forced onto either me or my sister. Mm-hmm. And especially with my sister getting married, it was not, not, not something I was forced to. We, we barely even talked about marriage in my mm-hmm. family. So when um, I brought up the idea, it was definitely a shock and um, a factor of resistance on their part. They didn't want me to do it either. Interesting. So when you said that they're like, you know, the typical Bangladeshi Muslim um, parents, were they like strict with you growing up as well? Like, was there kind of that, you know, you can't go here, you can't do this. Like, because a lot of things that I noticed within at least the Muslim South Asian communities, there's a lot more restrictions placed and people see marriage as a way out to freedom. So I was also curious if that was like playing a part in your environment at home. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we were very, we we had a very strict household. My sister had it worse. She had to come home at 6.30 every night, even until the age of 22, we were never allowed to be out, never allowed to be out during like dark times. So daylight was over in your home. It's like, um, Mother, got, it's like that yeah. evening prayer. It's like, you better be home before, before twilight. Yeah, home. <laughs> I don't care if you have an extracurricular activity. I don't care if you're in the debate club. I don't care what club you're in. If that club goes past six o'clock, you're, you're not joining the club. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Um, fortunately, I got a little bit more luckier in the aspect where I kind of fought for my freedom you know, my sister was a martyr. She didn't get to do anything. Um, but because of her, I got a lot more freedom. That's usually what happens with a second child. Really does. So I was able to join more clubs. I was able to join, you know, Greek life, which is another huge thing. Yeah. Um, I was able to stay over certain people's places really rarely, only if it was, you know, in relation to school or studying, I was able to, or if it was a leadership activity, it was never just for fun. And honestly, I'm really grateful that my parents raised me this way. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I felt like I was I avoided a lot of trouble. You know, I never partied in college. Um, I was always with kind of the good group of people. So it was a really sheltered life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you finally enter your 20s, mm-hmm. you start to crave, like like you were saying, this aspect of freedom. Mm-hmm. I had absolutely no freedom. And I realized I was starting to lie and lie more to my parents as a way to get back at them. Um, I wanted to, them to think that I was perfect, you know, but the only way I could do anything was just behind their back. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest flaws of this system of just trying to be a good kid in your 20s mm-hmm. is that you just start to resent them. And I oh, definitely yeah. saw marriage as a way out, mm-hmm. you know, my as my freedom. I definitely saw it as a way to just finally get out of North Dakota, get out of that time and start a new life, even even if it was a married life. Yeah, no, I hear you. So now we're back to you introducing the dude to your parents. How did they take it? How did that go? Yeah, so I was so nervous. I told my parents right off the bat, they're like, we don't need to meet him. What do you mean we need to meet somebody right now? No, it's way too early. Why don't you, I'm we're glad you told us. Why don't you get to know him for a few months and then we'll meet him. Um, that's when religion started to play a factor. Um, so he was very, or he is a very religious, religious guy. We're so religious to the point where I felt like he was really just past my scope of knowledge. Um, I was really young and naive at the time. So anytime he would bring up religion and say, oh, this is what God wants us to do. Why aren't you doing it? I would have so much shame and guilt. So I would say, I don't want to do something like I, I, I'm not ready to get married. And he just like, so you want us to just talk in sin? Is that what you want? So are you even a Muslim? Like what's going on? So everything was just backed up with you're not a good Muslim if you don't listen to me. Um, you know, I wore hijab at the time and I was very outwardly proud, proudly Muslim. Mm-hmm. So 
whenever he would attack me like that, I would be like, no, you're right. Like, this is what God wants. Why am I fighting this so much? God wants us to get married so we don't sin. Yeah. Um, that's not really, that's not really how Islam works. But, you know, at the time, I was just so manipulated into thinking like that was the right way. So I would go to my parents, I would show them like imams, I would show them like, oh, oh this is what the imam's saying about getting married. They're saying, if you have two kids that like each other and are ready for marriage, it's a sin not to get them married. Nice. So I would, yeah, I, wow. I used that argument to the T. I showed them countless videos and I could tell my parents were getting so angry. They're like, how dare you come to us with an imam from YouTube telling us how to practice our religion? Mm-hmm. You know, and after a lot of persuasion, I, they finally were like, okay, you know, we'll meet him. Mm-hmm. We'll meet him. That's it. Let's start there. I have a clarification question here. So when he was like, when you're saying, you know, he's religious and he was using all these like quotes from the Quran or the Hadith or whatever, did you feel like it would only show up to like, it's pick and choose religion, right? Only when religion benefits me, does it enter the picture? Other than that, it doesn't enter it at all. Exactly. It's there to back up my argument. But exactly. for example, if you were to bring something from the religion that counters anybody mm-hmm. else or his, it doesn't count. Exactly. It was, exactly. He chose the parts of the religion that benefited him the most. And, served and we're, gonna, we're getting into a lot of detail about like Islam and his portrayal of Islam. This has nothing to do with Islam. Let's start with there. It's, yeah. it's just his portrayal of Islam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to dive deep into that. It's really interesting, the stuff that he would say to me. But that's how it started, you know, the stuff that would benefit him, he would tell me. And finally, I got my parents to agree to let him come, mm-hmm. come and meet him. So he finally did. And this was about um, less than two months into knowing him. Mm-hmm. He was flying across the country to come meet my parents. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. how did that go? How did they, like your parents agreed? What did they say? What did they think? Yeah. Did they bring they said- gifts? No, yeah, no, he brought gifts. He brought gifts to meet them. He came, I remember he from him first stepping into the house and meeting my parents. I was so, so nervous. And I was really nervous now that I think about it because I wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for him to meet my parents. I, I feel like I didn't know him yet. Mm-hmm. He made me feel like I knew him so much. Mm-hmm. And we had shared all this intimate details about each other. So I felt like maybe I, I did know him, but at the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm probably not ready for this yet, but it's happening. So let's do it. And that added to me being scared. Um, he came in, you know, he had a pleasant conversation with me, my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And my mom kind of off the bat really did like him. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of hit it off. You know, they started FaceTiming like almost every night. And wow. he really did welcome him. You know, she thought she thought of him as her her son. My dad, however, was extremely skeptical, you know, right off the bat after he left, she's like, I don't like him. Something's off about him. And I'm like, what? dad, come on, like, just take the time to know him. But my dad, my dad off the bat was just like, there's something off about him. I don't like him. I don't approve of this. This can't happen. Um, and then fate came into play. And finally, my parents met his parents over like, just online FaceTime. And then my dad recognized his dad. Um, from Bangladesh so apparently they knew each other from back then and after that happened it was like oh okay this will work out this will work out just fine I know him my older brother went to school with him so faith just came in and played all these factors and over time finally 
Um, they were so resistant, you know, this is, I would say this is around September, October at this point where I finally brought in, he finally brought in the idea of marriage and saying like, we need to get a nikah soon. We really do. Like we cannot keep living in this sin. And I'm like, Anika, are you crazy? I would never, but let me tell you, within a week or two of bringing out the idea, I was completely on board. Whoa. Oh, to clarify, Anika is just like a Muslim, like formal marriage ceremony. It's basically like you're signing the marriage certificate. Just to put that out there. And you were on board in two weeks. I was on board in two weeks. And let me tell you, like when we first started this conversation, I told you I was married just two, three years years away at least. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy had to convince me to get married within yeah. just two weeks of bringing up the idea. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's how you know that he's done this before, and he's he's had this conversation with many other women before. That's so he knew how well to just maneuver it. Um, and then you know, my oldest sister's like, "It's too early. Like, why are you rushing to get married? There's absolutely no reason. You just met him. I'm not telling you to break up. I'm just telling you to wait. Everyone told me to wait, and." I thought everyone was against me. You know, he was turning me against all my family saying, they just want you to be haram. They don't understand our, our level of passion. They don't understand how much we love each other. They just want us to live in sin. At the end of the day, either choose your family of sin or you choose the halal way and get married before the eyes of God. Yeah. So that was my complete argument. Another question, D- was he like significantly older than you or was he like within the same like age bracket? He was just a year older than me. No way. And he's done this before? Yeah, done this before as in like groom other girls. He hadn't, yeah. he hadn't been married before, Got but it. he's definitely had this conversation with many other women. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now he's convinced you for the nikah and we're just a few, Is has it been a month at this point? Has it been like two months? Where so I had decided that after we had decided that we're going to get a nikah at some point, um, I, I hadn't convinced my parents fully yet. Um, but they couldn't get me to, you know, leave this guy. So it was finally time where they're like, okay, well, I guess you need to go meet his parents. Mm-hmm. He came and met mine. So it's time for me to you know, fly over to California and meet his parents. Mm-hmm. So it was around Thanksgiving break in uh, November of 2017, where mm-hmm. um, it took a lot of convincing. And my parents finally let me fly out to California to meet his parents. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the aggression first began to show. Really? Um, when you were just going to meet his parents? You're not even married at this point. Not even married. We're still getting to know each other. Granted, you know, we're, we're long distance. I'm in North Dakota. He's in California. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with long distance, you miss out on a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know, as it goes. Like the farther you live, the more you start fat you have this fantasy about them mm-hmm. that's not based in reality and it, it isn't until you actually meet this person hang out with them that you you see a lot of character traits of this person so um I went there in November granted remember I met him in August and this was in November and we were just kind of trying to seal the deal at that point mm-hmm. so I go over there and within a day of me me getting there he takes me to on top of this mountain with all his friends and he gets down on one knee and he proposes in front of everybody it was the most, it was the biggest grand gesture. It was so romantic. It was just everything you want a proposal to be, Wow. you know? And when I saw that ring, I literally took the ring and I put it on my own finger because I was, I was so ready. <laughs> wow. I, I literally put it on my own finger before he could even put it on mine. Like I was just so excited, so happy. Like this was it. This was the peak of my life. Like nothing could ever top this. I was the happiest woman alive. Um, you know, I say that, but I don't tell you how the, we were climbing, we were going on a hike and the entire time on the hike, I was just in a lot of pain. 
I don't like hikes. I'm not really athletic. So the entire time he was just bullying me into like, come on, we're almost there. Like, hurry up, you know, just, you know, badgering me the entire time we were getting up there. You know, he was on his phone the entire time. I wasn't really interacting with him too much. Mm -hmm. I felt neglected. But as soon as we got to the top of the mountain, he was like, marry me. And I'm just like, oh, okay. I forget all the other stuff. Yeah, I want to marry you. I want to be with you. And um, it was the day after that when um, we were talking to each other about our just our past experiences and our past relationships. And um, he he asked me, he, I was just telling him about like, yeah, I actually was um, seeing this person before I met you, you know, long before I met you. But, but like, we're not together anymore. I just wanted to let you know. And he just got so angry at the idea that I had been with somebody else in my life. Um, he just basically took my head and shoved it against my, the car window. Are you serious? Absolutely. Just out of, just out of pure frustration and anger, he just took his head. Um, he, he basically took my phone, started looking through my camera roll and saw a picture of me with my friend. It was a picture of me and my graduation. She mm-hmm. just, he saw me with another man. He threw my phone inside the car and then he took my head and hit it against the wall. And he just like walked out of the car out of like complete anger. And I remember just sitting there in the car just in complete disbelief that he had put his hands on me. I was just like, in my head, I'm like, I I can't, I can't. Oh my God. I just look at the ring in my finger. I'm like, I I can't, what am I doing? Like, it was just such a wake up call. Like I can't be here. Mm -hmm. So I got out of the car and I called an Uber right away. Cause I'm like, I I need to get out of here. I called an Uber and I was hiding. I was literally hiding behind another car in the parking lot waiting for my Uber. I was that afraid of him. And then he ended up finding me. And he cornered me into an area and he's just like, you can't, you can't leave. I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't, I didn't mean for it to get that far. I'm so, so sorry. And I'm like, no, I need to leave. I need to leave. And mm-hmm. eventually the Uber came and he had cornered me. So I couldn't leave. And the Uber came and Uber just came and left. Oh my so God. So I missed my Uber. Um, but in that, in that moment, he's just, just like, I'm so sorry. And I said, this will never happen again. I just lost my temper. I get it. I've been with people. You've been with people. I shouldn't even be angry right now. I'll just just forget it please like he got down on his knees and started begging me on my feet to just please don't leave me like I I love you so much we're gonna get married like just please forget this so I I forgot it I that was it you know he apologized so much that I'm like okay this guy is so remorseful mm-hmm. it's okay it's not gonna happen again yeah and that cycle just started to repeat itself so many times in my head I'm like he's the perfect guy you know he's Mm -hmm. Muslim he's Bengali he's my age he's good looking everybody likes him he's not hated by anyone you know like he was very prominent in his school he had a good social media following you just like just like met all the criteria well educated just perfect well just the perfect criteria you know so I was just like I can look past I can look past everything else Mm-hmm. it's fine it's fine it's, it's gonna be fine he's a man of God it's gonna be fine yeah. you know if you if he if he loves God this much he could never hurt me yeah so and that's that's kind of how the physical aggression started it started little by little to the point where I didn't feel like it was that much of a big deal mm-hmm. but it, it definitely escalated so we were at California and he had proposed and you know after that something kind of shifted in my head where I started to feel a little a little scared of him mm-hmm. um you know, when I was hanging around him, I felt like him calling more and more of the shots. It started with him telling me, you know, your skirt is too tight, be a little looser. Hey, your hair is a little showing, tuck it in, mm-hmm. tuck it into what I could wear. And, you know, he 
decided that we need to exchange social media passwords. So wow. whenever I got a notification on my phone, he would get the same notification because he was mm-hmm. also signed into all my accounts on social media. Mm-hmm. However, he didn't do the same for me. So I didn't get access to all his social media accounts. Did, he, did you ask and did he explain why? You just said, it's not necessary. Like you should trust me, Anessa. I just want to, I just want this for you because I want to be able to protect you because this world is really scary on women. Um, but you'll be fine. Like, I'm fine. I'm not doing anything behind your back. So you don't need it. And everything sounds so bad right now. But like, when I tell you when I was in it, I'm like, oh, he cares so much about me. So it's so sweet. Of course, when you're in it, like you said, it's not just like, you know, an isolated incident where, you know, someone does something or says something because there are other factors playing a role where it's like, oh, like, look at the grand gestures, look at this wanting me and needing me and him on his knees, like, so, like you said, remorseful. These factors play into it. It's not as simple as being like, oh, you know, you should have seen it that first time in the car when he banged your head against the window. It's, it's so simple looking on the outside to say, say that, but when you're in it, it's Mm -hmm. not as clear at times. It's not, it's not. You know, and you know, every time something would happen, I would just look down at, my, at the rock in my finger and be like, he nearly spent $10,000 on me already. Like he's, it's fine. Like I can, I can keep looking over these small little things because of all the other grand gestures he kept doing, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you just feel so loved, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the love is mixed with so much fear. Mm-hmm. You know, you keep trying to change parts of yourself. You know, every time something bad would happen, it would, as in any abusive relationship it is it is your fault you triggered him you did something so I kept saying how can I be the best potential wife for this dude how do I stop triggering him you know he is a good guy he started off great how do you stop triggering him look and look at that you took all the responsibility on you it's like this guy dropped 10 grand on me he's making the grand gestures he loves me so much what am I doing wrong to entice this reaction on him and that's the thing with key manipulators and you know like at this point from the vague idea that you're giving me like I'm not saying I'm diagnosing him Mm -hmm. but they're like narcissistic personality traits not a disorder traits they're very prominently present there Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest, that's exactly what my therapist said, too. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much what it was. And everything led to how can I stop triggering him? How can I be a better wife? He's a good person. I need to stop making him so bad. Yeah, he's you trying know, to, I need to look at myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I had left, you know, I had spent all Thanksgiving there with them. I had the time of my life there apart mm-hmm. from, you know, the few incidents. Um, we were driving one time in our car and he was, uh, we were also like, a, a lot of the aggression was rooted in a lot of misogyny and jealousy. Yeah. So anytime, anytime we would talk about our past prior to meeting each other, he'd be like, how far did you go with, with, with people that you met? He wanted to know every excruciating detail of anyone that I had ever come in contact with, the extent we had ever gone to. And anytime I would tell him a detail, he would just get angrier and angrier mm-hmm. um granted this guy had been with like uh he, he's had a i'll just say he had a really prominent past he wasn't somebody who was a saint before he met me i'll just say that mm-hmm. and so it, it just didn't matter what he did it had nothing to do with what he had done with who or whatever like it just did not matter mm-hmm. and he was even prideful he said i did all these things but i'm a better person now yeah. um, he told me about how he had cheated on the people girls he had been with how he would lie to them and 
um, be with multiple women at the same time. And he was just like, but I'm a better man now. And I learned from my mistakes. And that's why I'm here with you is because I'm writing my wrongs. I'm not that person anymore. But anytime I would talk about my past, he would get angry. One time we were driving uh, on the highway and he got so angry at something I had told him that he punched my steering wheel. And I'm telling you to this day, it's still indented. I drive the same car still. And he like permanently indented my steering wheel where I can't press the honk button. Um, he had done that. He had, he had punched it so hard that he had to stop the car and I had to get out of the car because I was so afraid that he was going to hit me while we were in on the oh highway. It was just, it was just all these little things just kept happening. And I brought it down to, I triggered him. Okay. What else can I do to not anger him next mm-hmm. time? So yeah, it was just this perpetual thing until we finally ended up get, getting married in December. Wow. Yeah, so how did you feel while you were getting? I mean, I I'm assuming it was like a traditional Bengali wedding. There was a lot of celebrations. Like mm-hmm. in those moments, was in those moments were any thoughts sort of circulating in your mind, or did you kind of have that belief that you know as soon as we get married, you know he knows that I'm with him and things will just be better and we'll just be a family yeah. and we're gonna be each other's person. Yeah, it was this. It was just so highly romanticized. And, you know, the further we kept going, it was harder to look back and stop it. Like, it was gaining so much momentum so fast. And I was fighting for him so hard. You know, I had already fought for him, fought to be with him. Then when he finally showed and started showing the physical aggression, I felt stupid to bring up any sort of conflict. Like, oh, I'm afraid of him, but I can't tell my parents. Like, it's too late. Like, I've already fought for him so much. The momentum is going and it, it keeps on building, so I can't stop. You know, it was around December. We had a we had an intimate ceremony, um, in we actually got married in, in the Texas area. So mm-hmm. we had a really intimate ceremony. All our family from and friends all over the country flew in. It was like less than fifty people. We, we rented out a place and we just had a really intimate ceremony. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, like throughout the entire ceremony, there was so much like we were fighting constantly. Really, we were fighting constantly about what to do, like. Yeah, now that I think about it, like, I wasn't really happy at that time, because I felt like I felt so trapped. I already felt very trapped. I felt like everything he was telling me, I was finding out something new about him that I didn't like. Um, But my family was there. We were all ready to get married. We talked to our imam. Like, Mm -hmm. there was just, it just felt like there was no turning back at that point. And I wasn't even sure that I needed to turn around. I just thought that, you know, I could eventually change him. I thought everything was going to change after we got married. Mm-hmm. you know there was definitely parts there are parts during the wedding where I got so mad and we started let's just like kind of like aggr- being aggressive towards each other I would push him he would push me back and it was just getting very very violent mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day like we were we were already there we were already getting married and it was going to be fine yeah um, so yeah so it's insane I was in front of all my family and close family and friends we had a really nice ceremony you know a lot of people said a lot of toasts and it was just absolutely beautiful. It really was at the end of the day. So I thought that everything was just going to be fine. Do you wish anybody would have been able to pick up on the fights or like the subtlety in your interactions to be like, hey, is everything okay? Yeah, I, you know, people did pick up on it. You know, my friends right now, even my best friend to the day, she's like, I didn't know what you saw in him. I saw the way he treated you even on your wedding day. And I thought it was really bizarre. And everyone tried to tell me, I'm telling you, people tried to tell me like, hey, we're not really sure about this. I didn't believe anybody. Like you couldn't say anything to me then. 
-hmm. you cannot say a single word to me that I was so under his control that nothing, there was absolutely nothing you could say to convince me otherwise. And everyone saw that. Everyone saw that. So mm -hmm. there's nothing anyone could have done at that point. I was definitely a lost cause and I had to experience it for my own. And I knew that. I realized that now I had to just go experience it on my own to finally get out of it. And that's how a lot of women feel in abusive relationship. You cannot tell a woman who's in it to just leave because mm -hmm. first of all, they're not going to listen to you, mm -hmm. you know, and the more you tell them the worst relationship you're going to have with them because, you know, like you want them to listen to you, but they're not going to, you know, so you'll stop feeling sympathetic for them. Like women in domestic violence relationships, like you stop feeling symp sympathetic because you're like, you're staying, yeah. even though you shouldn't. So I'm, I'm done trying to help you. Oh yeah. So there's absolutely. nothing you can do with women in that situation most of and the it, time. And it is a component of the endurance, right? Like I've endured so much and turning around now, then it was all for nothing to not even get the relationship out of it. You know, oh, there's still time. They, we have such good moments and, you know, it's hard, but especially for women who don't, and I'm, this is a little bit generalizing, but I'm just talking based off of clientele experience or not even that, but what I've seen is that when there's more perpetuated loneliness, it's mm -hmm. harder to get out, right? It doesn't matter if you have friends, but if it's the first time you have like really, truly that special feeling of romanticism, like romantic feelings or like intimacy and so much attention that you haven't had before, it's difficult because there's a mm -hmm. sense of like, hey, when it's good, it's really good. But when it's bad, it's terrible. But those exactly. high good points, you try to justify it to yourself. Like, oh, this is awesome but I'm not lonely. I have someone who's taking care of me. You know, yeah. other people have it so much worse. This is not too bad. You justify it. You make your own excuses. He doesn't even need to make the excuses at that point because you're, you'll do it for him. You're doing it for him. Exactly. You're making all the excuses for him. And at the end of the day, it's like, he chose me. He could have had anyone. This guy who has so much going for him wanted me. He asked me to be his wife. So I'm just going to make it work because you, you just feel so, so special in these situations. And that's what they do. They make you feel really special off the bat. They, you know, show strong emotions. Another thing is when you're in a new relationship and a guy says, I love you within like the first two weeks, it's like that, you know, like I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in relationships. Mm -hmm. I've seen it happen to even some of my close friends. I'm like that they, he should not be saying, I love you. And he doesn't even know you. Mm -hmm. What is there to love? He doesn't even know what there is to love yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but that, that was the situation with me. And I'm like, wow, he chose me. He loved me already. This is amazing. This is perfect. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, what does it say, like, even on your wedding day, that you guys were still fighting and that people even picked up on it, right? Like, he wasn't even being subtle at this point. Like, there's no yeah. point of even putting up the facade for people's sake, because that's another thing with super highly manipulative people that in the environment, saving faces, everything but behind closed doors, like the monster erupts, you know? Exactly. Uh, exactly and you know there was such a double standard mm -hmm. um being with him because I almost felt like I had no rights well he had all these rights you know I had I got to a point where I couldn't even have like a guy friend mm -hmm. or like many guy friends that are even on my Instagram you know whenever a guy that was somewhat attractive that would like my pictures on Instagram he'd be like you need to delete that person I, there's no reason for him to be on your Instagram profile or even be looking at you to just delete him I just don't like the I just don't like that he liked this picture of yours and I'm like okay absolutely like I'm already devoted to you so this is just to prove my devotion even further it's not mm -hmm. a big deal you know um, I couldn't have guy friends you know because he's like 
guys can be like really cruel and I know their intentions. They don't, they don't just want to be your friend and that's the thing you should just cut him off. You know, whereas his best friend was a girl. Yeah. She was, she was a girl and no matter what I said, he's like, I would never do that. Why don't you understand it? It's different. I can control myself whereas other guys can't control themselves around you. You know, so, and even on- Bullshit sort of reasoning. What kind of crap is that? Pardon my language. It is. It's so like I. It's and it puts him at, on a pedestal as well, right? That he has yeah. these magical skills that every other guy doesn't have. Like I can control myself. That's why I. You don't need my passwords, but I need yours because all these other men in this world are yeah. dangerous and predatory. Because he's basically exactly. projecting himself onto these. But he's he's. Yeah. It's a complete projection. He knows it's what he is. Projection. Oh, yeah, and. And, and to tie back to his point of religion, he's like, and this is why God wanted women to cover up because women are the like weaker sex. They're the most, they're the sex that needs to be protected at all costs. You need to cover your body because men are cruel. Mm-hmm. That was his point of view. You know, this is, this is, this is written in the Quran. There's a reason why women have to be more modest than men mm-hmm. because men are more cruel and they'll take advantage of more and more women. And I remember during our ceremony, we were taking pictures and his, and his, best girl girlfriend came and sat next to him and in the picture he like kissed her on the cheek and I remember just looking over and seeing him kiss her on the cheek and I just felt so I felt so betrayed in my head you know if that were to happen now like I I I wouldn't care but because he put such an emphasis on you cannot have any male friends but I can have girlfriends and I can kiss them on the cheek publicly and it's completely normal I lost it I went upstairs um, I took a moment, went upstairs, he met me upstairs, and I, I lost it. I was just like, this is, this is, I need to, I can't do this anymore. This is out. I was just like, I was pushing him. I'm like, leave me alone. We were screaming, and all the guests were downstairs, mm-hmm. like, listening to a scream upstairs, because I, I was just, I was just like, I felt so unequal in that relationship. Yeah. And of course, he was able to calm me down like everything was fine mm-hmm. and we both just walked downstairs like nothing happened but right. I could tell everyone in the new room like heard us screaming of course and it's such like there's a double standard there's hypocrisy there it's not even like hey you know I have all this access to your information if it makes you uncomfortable that I'm with my you know friend best friend who's a girl I'll put more boundaries to it because I understand that you're my wife now and like the more you grow up and the more you know like it's just being accommodating to your partner like I understand like I I appreciate you being comfortable that I have a female friend whereas you know I feel a certain type of way about you having guy friends but I'll have boundaries with my female friend like I won't be like Mm -hmm. all touchy-feely because I know it makes you feel a certain type of way that's like what a healthy person would say right like I understand where you're coming from because I also have these feelings that could have been like a moment of empathy where it's like yeah you know I get so explosive when I see, just see you around other men. I can totally understand why you would have a reaction as well. But no, it's just like, it's not that. It's not that you're wrong. It's not that. That's not my intention. It's just like my little sister. Like they always use a sister card. Exactly. And you know what? This is where the gas, the gaslighting, I didn't mention that yet, but it, it just, it was such a prominent role in this relationship. Mm-hmm. So much gaslighting, so much making me feel like my emotions were invalid. It, they were rooted in nonsense. Like, um, and you know, he had such a close relationship to his mom, you know, even to this day, even after everything she did, I do, I do quite admire his mom and the fact mm-hmm. that 
you know, she she was a widow at a young age. She got remarried. So this entire thing that I've been talking about, his father has actually been his stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she raised three boys. She has she has four boys now. You know, she wow. didn't have an education, but she built her career up so much that if she were to be alone, she would be financially stable. Like I just looked at her as such a strong woman. And then he had a cousin that he loved so much, and he had all these prominent women figure in his. He he loved his mom so much. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just didn't make sense why Where this I wasn't from. receiving any respect. It just didn't make any sense because he had so much women and so many women in his life. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really confusing at the time. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. So now you guys are married and I bet you're heading over to Cali to like be with him. Yeah, so we had finally got to Cali and we we actually didn't even have that much money. We got married so quick. Mm-hmm. So we decided his parents had were pretty well off so we were living in um in their, his parents house mm-hmm. um with his little brother his mom and stepfather we were all living in this little house and um I was there for a few weeks and we were deciding oh what we wanted to do with our lives mm-hmm. and you know those three weeks were definitely like they were so they were a lot of fun in the aspect where I was in a new place I had moved from North Dakota to California mm-hmm. I was newly married to this great guy I was living in this very nice house driving very nice cars mm-hmm. every day was a new adventure and mm-hmm. it was just it was such a like amazing honeymoon phase and I felt so loved you know I was completely isolated from my friends I had no family around mm-hmm. I was I was completely alone I really felt like his parents loved me so much so mm-hmm. I just felt like it was just so perfect mm-hmm. um, until until it just wasn't perfect. So during the day, everything was great. But at nighttime, it was just a lot of like verbal abuse. Like you're not wearing the appropriate clothing. You why Why did that one me- guy message you? Congrats on your marriage. Like you should not be talking to this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want you to choose that career path. You need to choose this career path. Because I remember at one point he said, why would you want to be a nurse? Don't be a nurse. That's, that's so stupid. Like you can be so much more than just a nurse. Mm-hmm. I remember him telling me that and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I'll just pursue something else. So I started looking at different master's programs mm-hmm. on what I could do. You know, he seemed like he has so much input in my life and I wanted to listen to him and everything that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was trying to notice he was more and more aggressive and a little bit more scarier. So I, you know, I was just trying to be the perfect wife at that point. Mm-hmm. So everything was going pretty well because I was trying so hard to be the perfect wife. I was slowly losing pieces and pieces of myself mm-hmm. um, until one day he lost complete control. And then I realized that I really did have to leave. Wow. And is that, that was like three weeks in like, or a month in? And is that yeah, the so incident that you, in. three weeks, three weeks in, wow. Three weeks into the marriage. You know, I think the biggest incident happened was when, um, we were, we, you know, we had one bed that we laid on every single night, you know, we were watching Netflix and one night I had just passed out, just laying down next to him. And in that night, he actually took my phone, right? He logged in and he was able to download some sort of app or recover all my text messages from my iMessage from before we were married, from the time that before we were married. And he had seen some messages between me and some other guy at that point. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you didn't tell me about this one specific dude. And he, he read through every message I had ever had with this guy. And in my sleep, I was sleeping in my sleep. He woke me up just like slapping me around. He's like, I read all your messages and started calling me a slut, a whore, like, you know, just 
absolutely everything foul. You know, at that point, I had just been woken up from my sleep, so I wasn't even processing what was happening. Um, and that's kind of how the big incident happened where I realized that, like, I actually wasn't even safe. I was absolutely not safe. It wasn't even a matter of overlooking anything at this point. I just wasn't safe to be next mm-hmm. to him anymore. Mm-hmm. And is this like the black eye incident? The one that Yeah, you- so I mean, I can talk about it freely right now. Um, I mean, viewer discretion or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, he had just gotten on top of me, you know, and oh started, he initially started with like just choking me. Um, he was asking me questions, but he had put me in such a strong chokehold that I remember I was just like, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even say a word at that point because it was so tight. And, you know, after like when I when I got a workup and I was talking to the police and everything and I was talking with EMS, they're just like, you know, if he had just like kept it for a few more seconds, like you would have you would absolutely passed out because oh um, it was such a strong hold. And after he got me out of that hold, you know, I was gasping for air and that's when he like threw the punch, you know, he was throwing punches at my face and oh my um, just, it was just, it was just a complete, just a complete and utter mess. Um, he stopped for a second, let me sit up. I sat up and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, please stop. Like, whatever you're saying, you're right. You're, you're right. Like I'm, I'm horrible. Like oh I kept God. saying whatever I could say to get him to stop. And then he threw such a massive punch at my gut that oh I remember God. I screamed so loud in the household. Like I was screaming in the household and nobody came to help. I'm so sorry. Thank you. I mean, it was, I'm glad that I can talk about this freely now. I remember sitting in therapy, never being able to talk about this. So it's good. And I I just feel really proudful that like, hey, I can actually talk about this stuff and it doesn't hurt, you know, the way that it used to once do. But I think it's important to talk about these things because it's happened and it's currently happening right now in many, many Daisy or non-Daisy relationships right now and people are so afraid to say these things out loud but when you say it out loud it just becomes a lot more real that this thing actually really happened yeah absolutely and I'm I'm like I said I'm so grateful and I feel so privileged that you were willing to you know even share this part um and don't worry I do I'm gonna have like a disclaimer at the beginning of this to but like you're so right where it's like it's so graphic mm-hmm. but it's a story that's happening with so many women and I, I think it's awesome that, you know, you've processed to a point where it doesn't have that same effect, but you still have that, you know, sense of realization that that was fucked up in so many ways. It was absolutely terrible. And I think what's even more fucked up is that I was screaming, but no one, Nobody his, pants, his pants were in the, under the same roof at that time when no one heard me. You're really telling me no one heard me. Um, so it was just really wrong. And, um, so after it had happened, he, he got up, he left the room and I was just sitting there in bed, like in so much pain, just in shock. Mm-hmm. You know, when everything was happening, another important thing to note, note was that, you know, there's a flight and fight response and I chose, I chose freeze. I couldn't. Yeah. A lot of people forget. It's not just fight flight. It's freeze as well. And this is so common in women mm-hmm. to like freeze up during a high stress any form of like attacking whether it's like even you know you're driving a car and then like another car is coming or like these physical instances women have that more ingrained it's more common than fleeing it's the freezing response absolutely freezing is it was such a reality for me I remember feeling like if I moved an inch mm-hmm. his punches would be harder yeah. So I I just completely shut down. I felt like dissociating from my body. 
just mm-hmm. begging for it to just stop happening. I know a lot of like even sexual assault survivors yes. feel like that as well. They're just not in their body anymore. And there were many times after the incident happened where I would relive it as like a, a third person in the room. Mm-hmm. I would just relive it as me standing outside watching it happen. Yeah. You know, watch watching him throw the blows or the punches. And mm-hmm. that's how it felt for a really long time. Cause honestly, it feels like I don't even remember what it feels like to actually be that person mm-hmm. in that situation. I can just be somebody else watching the situation. Mm-hmm. So freeze was really important. You know, for a long time I felt angry, like why didn't I fight back? Mm-hmm. How dare I not fight back? I'm strong enough to do that. And I bet but when of- you're under attack, mm-hmm. you just can't. And I think a lot of people even say that, you know, when it's a domestic violence situation, like, oh, why didn't she leave him? And then it's like, oh, why didn't she fight back? Why didn't she run? You forget this entire other component of a reaction, which is freezing. And um, I know earlier before we started recording, there was like an, an incident I told you when I went out into the field, like, and I told you that I almost got attacked and I was with my counterpart and I had that same response because I froze. I was like, I'm being charged at right now. And I immediately in that moment, I froze because my mind did the same thing that your mind did. And thank Mm -hmm. God that I didn't actually get hurt, which it was like, if I make a sudden move right now, this situation is going to escalate beyond my control. So if I'm like still, it's kind of like, you know, staring down like a lion. It's almost in my mind, it was like that. But I feel like we also need to really normalize the freezing aspect and work on interventions for like women everywhere to be able to like work on it rather than a blame game that oh if you were so scared why didn't you run if it was such a big deal why didn't you fight you know exactly exactly and the next few parts that i'm gonna bring up it's just gonna be like why did you do that yeah like he probably didn't hit you that hard if you decide to just ignore it and stay mm-hmm. you know and uh, on, on my post i've gotten so many comments about like girl if he did that, that to me i'll give it to him right back you uh-huh. know i've gotten that so many times and that's actually very like demeaning to a trauma survivor because it just you're like you're making the survivor feel even weaker Mm -hmm. you know but it takes so much strength to even endure it in the first Mm -hmm. place Mm -hmm. so it was definitely a freeze component it was a survival instinct I knew that if I did anything it would be worse and I I could have lost my life at that point of course you know so self-preservation so that's it's self-preservation and so he had left the room and I was just sitting there just in shock could not believe what had happened. Nothing like this had ever happened to me before in my life. Mm-hmm. My only thought was, oh my God, my poor parents. Mm-hmm. I felt so bad for my parents and the aspect that like, it would just break their hearts if they knew this was happening to me right now. Mm-hmm. I was worried about my parents at that time. You know, I felt like I was already a lost case. Wow. You know, I felt pretty worthless at the time. Um, he comes back, and this is the funny part, he comes back with ice. He's just like, here probably gonna need this my god he gave me it's like an ice and then I just kind of laid down back in bed with him in bed next to me he just turned off the lights and we just went to sleep and I remember waking up every 30 minutes that night because um he had cut up a lot of circulation in my throat so Mm -hmm. I kept having like cotton and dry mouth so I kept waking up to drink water and I was just like why can't I breathe like and I just realized I didn't I didn't register that I had I had been strangled that night mm-hmm. and I actually I couldn't I couldn't like keep my mouth um with water with saliva there was just no saliva you know and I woke up the next morning and he was still sleeping and I just went into the bathroom and I was looking at my face and you know that's when the blood was forming in my eye and I looked at my neck and he had, had all the, had all these bruises and it was like a little black here and I remember thinking to myself 
like this isn't happening like this isn't happening this is stuff that happens like in movies or something Mm -hmm. this is not this is not a real thing people go through i'm just like this is on dateline this isn't real life this is law and order su like what the heck is this this is not my life Mm -hmm. i was just i was so dissociated from what was going on i kept saying this is not my life this is not my life and i kept thinking to myself i am way too young for this to be happening to me i'm 22 years old this i'm way too damn young for this to be happening to me like what the hell i just didn't know how to process i didn't know who to call Mm -hmm. i don't know who to tell um all i knew is that okay, you know what, his parents live here and I think that they love me and they'll probably want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's the day. And that's where that one video I did went so viral. And it was this, mm-hmm. this specific moment where after all this had happened, I went downstairs and I decided literally not to cover it up. You really can't cover up a red eye though. So I decided not to cover anything up. I just went downstairs quietly and I just sat down at the table and I didn't say a single word to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, his mom, his little brother was there and his, his stepfather was there as well. And they were talking to me, we were talking and all of a sudden she was looking at me. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I just turned to the side and I was just eating really quietly. And she just kept looking at me like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when she finally asked me, what happened to your face? What happened? Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything. I absolutely, I just did not even know what to say. And she put two and two together and she was like, did he do that to you? And, you know, she got so protective of me at that point. She started screaming at him, come down right now. What the hell are you doing? How dare you hit a woman? Like, who do you think you are? And then I'm just like, oh, thank God. Like, they're sticking yeah. up for me. Like, this is, this is so, this is good. This is yeah. good. I feel safer now. I feel safer. You know, his father chimed in and started yelling at him. But the more they started yelling at him, the more I realized they weren't yelling at him really for my benefit at all. They were definitely ashamed of him, but it went from protecting me to just like diffusing the situation and coming to like a peaceful resolution. Mm-hmm. Not once did they offer me, hey, we need to take you to the ER because mm-hmm. we don't know what happened. We don't know what kind of damage you have. Mm-hmm. We don't know if you're concussed. Like, we don't know any of that. Nothing. Never offered to take me to the hospital. You know, I was so sad. I, I turned to his mom and I'm like, I'm, I don't know what to do. She's like, oh, honey. I'm here for you. Like, we're going to get through this. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he's an angry, he's an angry boy, but he loves you a lot. And we're, we're, we're just going to get through this. I know it as a family, we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I remember he, she gave me a hug after she said that to me and like tears were just coming down from my face. Cause that's not what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear we're going to get through this as a family. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear, like, I wanted her to do something for me. Mm-hmm. not keep me here in this household with him or I feared him I physically feared him for my life and I remember later that night um it was time to go to bed again mm-hmm. and uh, I just told him hey I just don't feel safe sleeping in the same bed as you do you mind sleeping downstairs on the couch he brought his mom into the room and his mom goes like no honey you have to you guys have to sleep in the same bed together that's the only way you guys are going to get over this part of your life mm-hmm. you need you to you trust him again and I just could not believe that this woman was telling me to sleep with her son again after he had completely done what he did the night before, yeah. you know? So I agreed to it. I'm like, no, you're right. Okay, yeah, we need to move past this. We were newly married. We need to move past this. Okay, all right, you can sleep next to me tonight. It was just so weird how like nobody was on my side mm-hmm. and I had no one to tell. 
Yeah. You know, um, even his dad, and this is, this is one of the biggest lines that influenced my life. Well, while he was yelling and he, he just kept pointing at how like, you're so lucky she's Bengali. You're so lucky she's going to stay quiet. They had already decided that I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, be grateful to the wife that you have right now, that she's not going to say anything, mm-hmm. you know, that she loves you enough not to say anything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was tailored towards me not saying anything or doing anything. And, and that was what? an assumption that they already put on you, right? They didn't say like, yeah. hey, like, we don't know what decision you want to make. You know, we're so dysregulated your safety is the number one priority how are you doing it's like she's not going to say anything because she's like a daisy woman and she's just not going to do it and you should be grateful and i think you said that in your video as well like if this was a white woman this would have gone very differently yeah, for you exactly and it's not to say that white women don't call the cops yeah white women go through it's just our the perception that we have of other races in our community yeah that was so broad broadly broadcasted to everyone like mm-hmm. we're the weaker like more feminine race and we're not going to do anything. They had made all these decisions for me. And I had decided that, you know, and he was remorseful. He said he was sorry. And he said he would never do something like that again. And I believed him. I, I genuinely believed that he wouldn't do it again, you know. And after really talking it over with his family, I'm like, let's just give this another shot. Like, we just got married like three and a half weeks ago. I need to give this marriage more of a try. Like, it would just be bad if I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I decided to keep quiet and not do anything. And, you know, the next morning came and I told him, I'm like, what, how could you do this to me? Like, how could you raise your hands on me? Like, what provoked you? Like, how could you do that? I just could not process of how he could actually just go out and do that to, to his wife. And he said, you know what, Anessa, at that time, I really felt like you deserved it. I was so disgusted with your past behaviors. And I just, I couldn't control myself. I just felt like you deserved it. You know, I remember him saying that to me mm-hmm. and I, everything he just kept doing, I was just in disbelief because mm-hmm. I kept thinking back to the guy I met in, a, in his Porsche in California who mm-hmm. wanted me, who wanted to spend the rest of his life with me. He was telling me everything I wanted to hear. I wanted that guy back. Mm-hmm. And so this current guy that I had right now, what was really him, I just, I just didn't believe a word he said. I was in yeah. such denial. But another thing is so bizarre is that it's not like, and this is, I'm not trying to make an excuse or like excuse for his behavior, but trying to like, not even analyze, but you know, it's not like he went looking for these things and he's acting as if he stumbled on them, right? It it takes a level of effort to take your wife's phone, download an app to recover previous messages, and then sit there and read through it. He was looking for something. Just looking for something. And why? And and what's the point? What's the point of looking when you know you're going to get upset if, like, he was almost like, yeah, I knew it. I knew that she had a past. But it's like, this conversation has already happened. It's already happened. Why is it brought up now? And then get mad over it. You go looking for something. This conversation has already happened. And it's like, that's the more bizarre behavior. And it's like, I was so disgusted with you. And I felt like you deserved it. Deserved what, dude? Yeah. I mean, I've been the perfect wife. I've been the perfect wife before we even met. I mean, before we even got married. Yeah. I was, I had given you my complete devotion. I had got rid of any man that threatens you. I told you everything I needed to tell you. And it's like, for what? What were you looking for? You were just, you were still, you still didn't trust me? Mm -hmm. Even after we were married? You're mm-hmm. still looking for something. What was I going to do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why I'm a firm believer is that when you do meet somebody, I think it's important to like, you know, talk about your past, mm-hmm. but I think if somebody's like obsessively talking about your past and wanting all the details, I think that's a, 
that's just, just a major red flag you know yeah. like, that's not something you'll need to be discussing absolutely and if someone has a lack of self-awareness that it's like hey you know like I feel a certain type of way about like partners because the mental image is too much like I'm not going to bring this topic up myself because I'm a grown-ass human being who can know my own triggers and that's why it's not your responsibility to keep people away from their triggers it's their responsibility you know but if you're trying to get triggered that's on you you'll get triggered you will and I was trying to like fit this mold of being the perfect Muslim Mm -hmm. this whole thing has just been centered around me being the perfect Muslim that I could be in his eyes not even in the eyes of Islam, like yeah, his version modest, of Islam. Yeah, his version of Islam. Like just because mm-hmm. I could just be perfect. Like, like I I didn't pray all five prayers before I met him. I mm-hmm. really didn't. I tried to, you know, maybe I'd probably get three in every once in a while. Yes. Um, but I wasn't. I was still learning Muslim. But when I was with him, like it was just like I must pray all five times just for him. It wasn't even for God at that point. I thought it was for God, but I realized it was just it was just to impress him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the most perfect Muslim that I could. Mm-hmm. to be desirable to him mm-hmm. and so it's just everything just kept I, I was trying to be perfect to so much that everything just kept falling apart more and more and more mm-hmm. um so I think the point where I finally left though it wasn't even that huge incident that made me leave it really? was like I yeah, thought it, I thought it was that incident oh no no I had decided to stay with him after that had happened um so this was the next day and we had the conversation about and I said, I think you deserved it. And I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to leave you. I was just like, you know, I'm just saying, oh, I'm going to leave you if you keep talking to me like this. Like, you have to show me that you want me. Um, he just thought that I was just such damaged goods. He's like, wow, I thought you were one way. And now I find out you're another way. And I'm like, you're, what? You're not perfect either, bro. You're not. You're far from perfect. But stop acting like just because I'm a woman, it's 10 times worse you know so but what do you mean um, he thought you were damaged goods at that point and he yeah, thought you were one like, way oh like wow I just you know when he first met me when he first started pursuing me he just saw the hijab like mm-hmm. if we're being completely honest he saw mm-hmm. like she's a hijabi she's pure she's perfect that's what I want mm-hmm. and the more and more I told him that like hey we all do have a past and I'm not as perfect as you are but you I'm, a, I'm a firm believer Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of this religion and this lifestyle, and I want to be the best, you know, Muslim that I could possibly be. And the more he found out about me, the more he had to be like, "You're, you're used. Like, I don't even know why I married you. Like, oh, you're not God. good. You're not good enough for me anymore." Um, so, you know, I remember I was texting my dad a little bit after that conversation. He's just like, "Hey, I'm gonna send over your car to California," and I texted him, "Don't send the car just yet." And that was like my first calling and like mm-hmm. I don't know what's gonna happen right now because I felt like something was just gonna happen and he's just like oh okay well let me know when you want me to send your car to California so you have the car I'm like okay mm-hmm. and then I remember I was just sitting there just contemplating what was gonna happen and he just walks up to me again and he was just he he angered himself he walked up to me and he just slapped me across the face just randomly just randomly he just like looked at me with disgust and just slapped me across the face and I remember that slap was the biggest, like, awakening, the biggest, I felt like I let that one happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, that's on me, mm-hmm. kind of deal. So when he had slapped me, it was just like, in my head, I thought, this is not going to stop. Mm-hmm. This is literally not going to stop. I really thought that after that huge incident, after him apologizing, like, he wouldn't raise his hands on me. But mm-hmm. for him to do it, like, a slap in the face is just very, like, 
I can do whatever to you at this point. You can't say anything. Yeah. And it's, you know what I mean? Unprovoked. Like, was he testing you or was he just like, now you're my punching bag. Like, let me just like unleash whatever, because this is like, you have nowhere to go. Like this is, this is your reality. Exactly. There's nothing you can do. You're a piece of shit. You're not important to me. You're not valuable to me anymore. So I can just do that. You're not going to say anything. And after that punch is when I internally realized that something needs to change. I need to get out somehow. Um, so um, I was I was just so upset the entire day. I didn't know what to do. I hadn't talked to anyone about it. I was just in that household trying to figure out what to do. And it was late that night where I just felt like I was suffocating. I felt like nobody was on side. And we had already gone back to normal in that household. Mm-hmm. Like everyone kind of forgot about it. We were moving on to the next thing. And I, I hopped on a call with my sister, with my older sister, um, who was living in Texas at the time. And I just called her and I'm like, hey, how are you? I just want to check in. And she's like, oh, we're good. Like, how's the honeymoon life? Like, how's, how's being married? And she was just so happy about it. And then I just started crying. I'm like, I just really miss you guys. I miss home. I need to come home. She's just like, we miss you too. Relax. It's been like three and a half weeks you'll be fine. We get it. And I'm like, no, I just really miss y'all. Like, I just, I miss my life. And she goes like, why are you crying about this? You don't, you want to get out so badly. Why are you crying? And I just kept crying and crying and crying. And she's like, did something happen? And I'm like, no, 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 nothing happened. Nothing happened. I'm just, I'm just really sad. I just miss you guys so much. And then, you know, she just kept hearing me cry and cry. And all of a sudden she just paused because she realized like something had happened. Mm-hmm. Something had happened. She didn't know what. And in Bengali, she said, Dum, guy had said, that means did he lay hands on you? Mm-hmm. And after she said that, I paused and I just kept crying. And she's just like, that's when she got silent because she just realized I confessed to what had been happening to me. And in that moment, she's like, I don't know what's going on. You're not saying anything, but you're coming to Austin. You're getting on the next flight to Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Austin, Texas right now. And that's where she was living with my mom. My mom was visiting them. So mm-hmm. they were all in Austin at that time. And she's like, you're coming to Austin tomorrow. If you don't book a flight within the next few hours, I'll book a flight and I'll send you the itinerary and I need you to be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, just realize that at this point, she did not know what happened. I never mm-hmm. even confessed to anything. She didn't know anything at the time, but she knew that she wanted me over there because she felt like I was in danger. Um, so yes, the next the older morning, sister comes through. I'm telling you, when I tell you, my sister saved my life. No. I mean it to the T. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like while you were talking about that, it's so like the thought that's the thoughts that are coming up for me in that moment is like, gosh, I'm so glad you still had your phone. You know, like in those sort of situations <laughs> where families start to like, you know dismiss and kind of like oh what's a a fine and everything and you know he already had so much access to your life I'm so glad that you still had your phone like he didn't manage to like completely isolate you from your family that you were able to get on a call like he wasn't hovering I wonder did that ever like cross your mind um it you know so actually at that time me and him had already planned to visit Austin already mm-hmm. a few days after the incident happened so it was, we had already decided that you know we were going to go visit Austin again to see my family and um my his parents actually told me like I know there's this trip coming up we don't want you to go we think that you should just heal in California mm-hmm. before you go we just don't want to worry your parents yeah. you know they kept saying stuff like that. And so I decided not to go. And my sister's like, you're coming. 
whether you come alone or not, you're going to come, you're going to get on that flight, you're going to come here and we're going to talk. Um, and then so after my conversation with her is when I realized that I actually needed to go back to Austin. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, I talked to his parents and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to Austin mm -hmm. today. I'm actually going to get on the flight and go. They're like, no, you can't go. No, 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 no. You can't go. You can't go. Like, it's too soon. You haven't healed yet. Like, oh why, you, why do you want to worry your parents? Like, nothing's going on. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go for a little bit. I'm going to go for like two or three days. I'm going to pack one little suitcase. Like, it's fine. Like, I just kept hinting at them that this is quick. I won't say anything. And I'll be in and out. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. I literally packed one small little luggage mm -hmm. of stuff, right? And it was almost time for me to go. And they were really hesitant. But they're like, I guess we can't force you to stay here but you know like lay low don't mm. say anything stupid um and I remember he was like I'm gonna come with you oh shit and I'm like whether you come with me or not I'm gonna go I don't know like what possessed me or how I got the strength to be like I'm actually gonna go mm -hmm. um all I knew is that I just did not want to get hit one more time mm -hmm. that's it like that was my only response like I cannot if I get hit one more time I don't know what I will do I'll, I'll probably just like I'll just completely lose it mm -hmm. so he decided you know what I'm gonna come with you I'm gonna come with you to Austin so I'm like okay do what you want to do come with me um and the entire ride home he was like ride to Austin he's like Vanessa like do we should we even stay married like at this point so much has happened like should we even give this a shot he's like do you even still love me anymore and in my head I'm like yeah like yeah, I still want to be married. I still love you. And I, I meant that I still did love him so much. I still wanted to be married with him. I didn't know what to do. All I knew is that I just couldn't be in that household anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so we got down, it was nighttime in Austin. And my sister came, my brother in law came, my mom came, my niece came, mm -hmm. all to pick us both up. And it was like nighttime and dark. So no one could really see me all mm -hmm. that well. Um, and my mom was so happy to see me. She gave him a hug. She was so happy to see him. My mom loved him. I'm telling you. Yeah. And um, we got into the car. We were just all talking in the car. And then, but one thing I noticed that my sister wasn't saying anything. Yeah. Like she was so quiet. And then we get into their apartment and him and my brother-in-law are sitting in the living room. I'm playing with my niece and my sister's nowhere to be seen. She's just in her room. Mm -hmm. So I like, I just go into the room and I look at my sister and she looks at me and then she takes my hand by her face and she's like scans me. She's like, what the fuck happened to your face? Mm -hmm. She was so, she was so angry. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I didn't say anything. I just, I was just so ashamed of what had happened to me that it was my fault. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I could not admit to anything. And she's like, and she started like getting so angry and like cussing at me and she's like how could you let this happen like yeah. what the fuck like why didn't you tell me and then my mom walks into the room and this is the emotional part right because when I tell you my mom loved this guy right so she walks into the room and she like scans the room and's like something just happened here and then she looks at me and she just like instant tears oh my she just could not believe it she's just like what the fuck you know she was just so sad looking at me she just couldn't believe it she was just crying and crying and crying and hugging me like I can't believe my daughter is going through this you know yeah it's kind of sad so yeah so like she oh, was of like course. that's yeah, so like, painful yeah none of anything that happened hurts as much as like remembering my mom's face when she yeah. thought what had happened you know yeah. she just broke down and she's like I will never let this happen to you again so um so yeah basically she uh she at that moment she realized like I'm not you're not going back 
honey, you're, you're gonna stay with me. You're gonna stay here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect you. And I, I love it because at this point, she, she went from loving this guy to loathing him so quickly. She felt yeah. so betrayed. She's like, I fell for it too. Yeah. It's not just you. I really loved this guy. I thought of him as my son, you know? Yeah. And after that, all hell broke loose in the household. My brother-in-law came and he's just like, what the hell? Like, how could you do this? And they started attacking him and just like, really? yeah, they were just, oh my God, what the, what I needed, the protection I needed at his house, I you was finally getting, family. obviously, I got it from my family. I'm telling you, they saved my life completely. They were just attacking him. He was trying to justify himself. Oh, do you know the vile things that she did? They're like, we, do, we don't give a fuck what she did. Mm -hmm. How dare you even try to defend yourself on why you hit her? Yeah. So they just went off on her and literally within five minutes of that erupting, they had kicked him out of the house. Hell he didn't yeah. have his shoes. He didn't have his laptop. He had nothing. I think he had his wallet on him. They literally just pushed him out of the house, locked the door. And that was it. They're like, do what you need to do. Go wherever the fuck you need to go. You're done. We're not interacting with you anymore. You're mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. You know, and as soon as they had left, they're like, we're taking you to the ER right now. What the hell? And so like within me saying, I didn't even get to say goodbye to him. He was just, he was just gone. And when I tell you he was gone, I'm somewhere like that was the last time I ever saw him. Really? Within five minutes of them finding out was the last time that I ever saw him. Wow. Yeah. So wow. he was gone. I had already been on my way to the hospital. We were in the hospital and, you know. I came in for just a DV workup. Um, I was just, they, were, they gave me like a, a head scan, a CT scan. Um, they checked, you know, my stomach, make sure everything was working there. And they checked Ooh. the bruising on my eye. And they just, you know, luckily it was just a lot of like inflammation everywhere. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any broken bones or anything, but it was important to get that workup in case something had, had happened, you Absolutely. know? You never and, know if you're internally bleeding. You don't know if like, you, you have know. an airline fracture on like a rib or something like the pain you're exactly. assuming is just like you know swelling in your gut could be so many things and I think that is important where you know his family did fail you and not making your health and your safety a priority in that moment because I think what they probably feared was that if they took you to the ER that they would make a report of DV exactly exactly mm -hmm. and with that report you know the police showed up mm -hmm. and the police had you know come to my call and they were taking my statement and just felt like so many things were happening all at once mm -hmm. you know I had to tell my parents and then I had to tell the hospital staff and then I had to tell the police and I'm like I am having to relive this way too many times in just one yeah. night yeah. I just felt so overwhelmed everything just felt mechanic at that point you know my mom was just sobbing the entire time mm -hmm. um and I remember just talking to the police mm -hmm. and they were just being so nice and they're like it's not too late to follow a police report like I highly encourage you to do it we don't know what's going to happen but I highly encourage you to follow the police report um so I finally did when I got home later that night but I remember this one distinct conversation I had with them mm -hmm. and I'm like does this happen often like responding to calls like this and he's just like he's like yeah you're the sixth one tonight oh my like, god and that's when it hit me like that was the first time it hit me how common this was, like reports of DV, how common it was. And it just made me so sad mm -hmm. to see that this is just in the Austin area. This is just one hospital. And he said, in our area, it's already happened six calls tonight. Mm -hmm. And it just blew my mind that this type of stuff was happening 
all around us constantly. Mm-hmm. No one talks about it. Everyone's silent about it, but it's happening. Yeah. You know, um, so and then, you know, I went home, I filed a police report and I just, we just didn't know what to do as a family. My, my dad flew in from North Dakota. We had a few close family and friends flying into Austin, all trying to brainstorm what to do, what's next. No one knew what the fuck to do. Yeah. No one had ever experienced this. No one had ever gone through something like this. In our community, it's so hush-hush. Mm-hmm. No one even talked. I didn't even know anyone that was divorced because no one talks about it. Not mm-hmm. to say that there weren't divorced people. No one just talked about it. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know anything about the police system, the justice system, what to do, who to follow, who to talk to, nobody. Mm-hmm. We, we talked, everybody, we were just talking. We, no one knew what to do. Mm-hmm. So it was just this constant state of panic of what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I mean, and after this part, it's just like the recovery phase on like what to do next and what lawyers to contact and how to feel or what to do. But it was definitely, definitely the toughest moment of yeah. my entire life. Not, not really sure what to do. You know what I mean? That was part one of the two-part series with Anessa Tabassum. And if you're looking forward to hearing the second part, remember it's going to be released next week on Saturday and you can hear all the other things that we have to share. Um, it's going to be a wild ride. If you already heard this whole thing through, you can expect a lot more surprises on the way. Um, with that said, we're so glad you joined us for part one. Again, all socials will be linked down in the description and we will see you next week.